Big Tobacco's Bait and Switch. More deaths expected from vaping lung illnesses. New York State becomes first to ban flavored e-cigarettes. These are news headlines that have hit in the last couple of weeks. Is there any truth behind them, or is it all exaggeration? We will be covering the scientific evidence on e-cigarettes and vaping in today's episode on the People Scientist Podcast. Listening to the People Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on nutrition, health, and medicine. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, a nutritionist, physiologist, and neuroscientist, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. Hello, how is everyone doing today? I hope you've all had a great week so far. And welcome back to the People Scientist Podcast for episode 29. I received a lot of great feedback on my episode last week on intermittent fasting and time-restricted eating. So let me know if you want me to do a follow-up on the topic, such as an update episode whenever new data is published. Or if anyone wants me to go into more detail on fasting, feel free to message me on any of my social media platforms. But today we are jumping into a timely topic that has hit the news quite a bit, and that is vaping, juuling, or e-cigarette use. News reporters are claiming that e-cigarettes are big tobacco's bait and switch, and that vaping is leading to people dying. Is there any truth to this, or are the reporters blowing it out of proportion? Well, I'm a good source to speak to this topic, as many of my projects in my fellowship currently focus on nicotine and its impact on our health, the good and the bad. And very excitingly, I have some news to share with all of you. I found out earlier this month that a co-first authored paper of mine just got accepted into Nature, one of the top journals in the world. And what we are publishing on is the impact of nicotine on our health and the brain. So you can bet that once that paper is officially published, that I will be doing an episode covering our findings. But for today, let's dive into the scientific evidence on vaping or e-cigarette use and the truth behind it. So as we always do, let's jump into some core takeaways. Now, throughout this episode, I may interchangeably use the terms e-cigarette and vape pens and juuling, but for the purposes of this podcast, I mean the same thing. So the invention of e-cigarettes was intended to serve as a bridge to stop smoking, because nicotine is the addictive component in cigarettes. It was then thought that isolating the nicotine and providing that alone with a vaporizing liquid would be a safer alternative. However, what has happened over the last several years is that e-cigarettes have become so small and convenient that now people who have never smoked before are using them, and particularly younger generations have been using them frequently. So as Janine Interlandi in the New York Times wrote just a few months ago, this could be big tobacco's bait and switch. But the reason why vaping or e-cigarette use has hit the news lately is because several emergency cases have emerged. E-cigarette use has been associated with the development of idiopathic acute 
eosinophilic pneumonia, which is a quick onset of pneumonia, essentially. And as of last week, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported 530 cases of lung injury associated with e-cigarette use in the United States. As well, they reported that seven individuals with lung injury and e-cigarette use have died. But it is not confirmed yet that the cause of death in these individuals was the e-cigarette use. So some reporters may be making claims before all the information is known. In many of these lung injury cases, the substance inhaled was a cannabinoid oil, in other words, a marijuana or weed oil. It is thought that heavy use of a vape pen for marijuana oil causes the oil to form lipid oil droplets in the lung that are hard to clear, and this can lead to inflammation and reduced lung function. Now, the liquid in e-cigarettes is very often consisting of propylene glycol and or glycerol. These two compounds are what we call humectants, meaning they hold on to water very well. And this is what vaporizes when heated to high temperatures. The issue is because these liquids are such strong humectants that they enter into the lung tissue and may stay there and hold on to a lot of moisture. The compounds can also oxidize and form hydroxyl reactive oxygen species. And this is what is hypothesized to be leading to an inflammatory reaction and respiratory issues for some heavy users or for those at risk, such as those with asthma. So now let's jump into those details. Greena in 2014 published a scientific article detailing the advertisements made about e-cigarettes. And they noted that 64% of the ads made claims that e-cigarettes could help people quit smoking. So is there any science to back up that claim? Well, Hajek in the New England Journal of Medicine just this year conducted a randomized controlled trial to investigate just that, to see if e-cigarettes were effective at helping cigarette smokers quit smoking. They enrolled 886 participants and asked them to join one of two groups, either have access to nicotine e-cigarettes or to have access to nicotine replacement therapy, such as nicotine patches or nicotine gum. The participants also attended support groups to help them quit smoking and were followed up within one year. Now, after one year, the success rate, meaning the percentage of people who did not go back to traditional tobacco cigarettes, was 18% in the e-cigarette group and almost 10% in the nicotine patch, nicotine gum group. So it could be better than traditional nicotine replacement therapy, but e-cigarettes still had an 82% failure rate. But really, the most important measure of success was how many people actually quit nicotine and smoking altogether. So of the 18% in the e-cigarette group that did not go back to smoking traditional cigarettes, 80% of them remained users of e-cigarettes. So really only 20% of the 18% were successful. In other words, e-cigarettes have a 3.6% success rate at helping smokers quit nicotine and smoking. That's not a very good success rate. So the companies that created e-cigarettes intended these to be a tool to help with quitting smoking. But when this was actually investigated the true success rate is not actually that good. 
What has actually wound up happening is that the number of people that are using nicotine products has climbed as a result of e-cigarettes. In that article that I mentioned published by Grena in 2014, they also noted how advertisements for e-cigarettes appeal to the youth. For example, 73% of ads claimed that e-cigarettes were modern. 44% of the ads insinuated that vaping increased social status. 32% showed increased social activity. 31% portrayed increased romance. And 22% showed use by popular celebrities. And if you haven't seen some of these newer e-cigarettes or vape pens, they essentially look like a very small USB. And as a result of the ads, the convenience of use, and peer use, this year in the Monitoring the Future study, a reported 25% of high school students are users of e-cigarettes. And actually, this number is thought to be even higher. The true number is thought to be even higher and that this reported prevalence is low. And this is even a big jump, even just from last year, where the prevalence of use in high school students was 12%. So in one year, it's climbed up more than doubled. In grade 8 students, so those aged you know, 12 to 14 years old on average, the prevalence of e-cigarette use was 1 in every 11 students. You know, I think part of the reason why nicotine consumption or e-cigarette use has climbed is just because it is, they've made it incredibly convenient and inconspicuous. You know, I've spoken to the high school interns that have come through Sinai, and they've all said that vaping or e-cigarette use is incredibly common and popular in their high school because it's easy to hide. You know, for example, they go to the bathroom and they use it. And, you know, before with traditional tobacco cigarettes, you'd have to light it. You could potentially set off a smoke alarm. You know, it's harder to hide the smoke and the smell. With a vape pen, it's easier to hide all of those things. You know, I've even seen on the New York subway people that are vaping and they blow the vapor into their shirt to try and hide the fact that they're vaping. And I think because it is so easy to hide and they've made it more convenient that not only are more people using it, but the people that are using it are probably using it more frequently as well. So now it comes down to the question of what are the health effects of using e-cigarettes this much and for a long period of time, particularly in the youth? Well, it is thought that e-cigarettes may be less dangerous than traditional tobacco cigarettes as they do not expose the user to many of the compounds of cigarette smoke. For example, there's no tars or oxidant gases or carbon monoxide. And these compounds are really what's responsible for many of the tobacco-related diseases. However, most e-cigarettes do contain a number of compounds that may have some health effects. For example, e-cigarette liquid often is made up of propylene glycol and or glycerol. And Cosmiter and colleagues in 2014 reported that these two compounds can decompose to form the cancer-causing chemicals formaldehyde and acetylaldehyde, with the level of these two compounds increasing with a higher power output on the e-cigarette. So with high-voltage devices, the levels of formaldehyde and acetylaldehyde may be actually similar to traditional tobacco cigarettes. So I have pulled six studies that were published in the last year to share with you that looked at the effect of vaping and e-cigarettes on health. So let's go through those findings together. Wills and colleagues last year in the journal Alcohol and Drug Dependence conducted a survey in over 8,000 people to assess the association of e-cigarette use with chronic respiratory disease. This is the first study to show that in those who were not cigarette smokers but just e-cigarette users, 
they had a 33% higher odds of having asthma than those who did not use e-cigarettes. They also noted a strong association of a 158% increased chance of chronic lung disorders with e-cigarette use. This is the first study to show a significant independent association of e-cigarette use with chronic lung disease. But as these are just associations, let's dive into some intervention trials to see if e-cigarette use actually has an impact on lung health. Muthamalaj last year published in a cell culture study that just the flavoring component of vaping may have an effect on cell health. The scientists treated two human monocynic cell lines with the vapor of the flavoring chemicals and flavored e-liquid without nicotine. Just the flavors itself caused cell death, which increased with higher doses. The cells exposed to the flavoring chemicals increased their secretion of interleukin-8 in a dose-dependent manner. This illustrated a significant inflammatory response. And mixing a variety of flavors resulted in a greater amount of cell death and reactive oxygen species levels compared to the treatment with just the individual flavors. This suggests that mixing of multiple flavors of e-liquids may be more harmful than using just one flavor. Other studies have shown that, for example, cinnamon-flavored e-cigarettes may cause mouth and throat irritation, and diacetyl, a chemical associated with respiratory diseases, has been found in sweet-flavored e-cigarettes, and cherry-flavored e-cigarettes have been found to contain benzyldialdehyde, a compound that has been associated with respiratory irritation. So just the flavorings themselves may have some negative health effects. Sun and colleagues this year published in the journal Chemical Research and Toxicology the measurements of reactive oxygen species in vaping liquid. Now, I have spoken about reactive oxygen species in past episodes, such as in episode 10. Reactive oxygen species induce oxidative stress and inflammation in our body, which may lead to a lot of chronic diseases. So we want to limit our exposure to reactive oxygen species whenever possible. And the scientists in this study noted that Increased power output and puff volume of a vape pen increased the formation of reactive oxygen species in the vapor. Vegetable glycerin e-liquids and flavored e-liquids generated higher amounts of reactive oxygen species than propylene glycol e-liquids and non-flavored e-liquids. However, the scientists noted that the amount of reactive oxygen species exposure from e-cigarettes is still lower than that of traditional cigarettes. They estimated about 10 to 1,000 times lower, depending on the type of e-liquid, power settings of the e-cigarette, and the amount of use. But exposure to reactive oxygen species could be the same or more than cigarettes if someone is using an e-cigarette at a higher power and very often. Chaumont last year in Scientific Reports investigated the effects of vaping in 25 smokers on measures of heart and blood vessel health and on oxidative stress. The scientists noted that vaping just the liquid of glycerol or propylene glycol without flavor or nicotine did not negatively affect measures of blood vessel health or oxidative stress. However, when nicotine was present in the vaping, then it did have some negative effects. They observed an increase in blood vessel stiffness, decreases in the relaxation of arteries, increased blood pressure, increased heart rate, and an increase in a marker of oxidative stress. So nicotine in itself may have some detrimental effects on blood vessel health. 
This year, Showmont published another article in which they conducted two randomized clinical trials to assess the impact of vaping on lung inflammation and lung function. When heated by an electronic cigarette, propylene glycol and glycerol produce a nicotine-carrying aerosol, and this aerosol can deposit deep within the lung. Now, whether these deposits trigger local inflammation and disturb lung function was tested in this study. The aim of this study was to assess the acute effects of electronic cigarette vaping with or without nicotine on lung inflammation biomarkers, gas exchange in the lung, and lung function in young and healthy tobacco smokers. Now, acute vaping of propylene glycol or glycerol aerosol at high wattage with or without nicotine induced airway epithelial injury and sustained declines in oxygen exchange in young smokers. Intense vaping conditions also impaired arterial oxygen levels in heavy smokers. So this clinical trial illustrates that e-cigarette use even without nicotine can temporarily impact proper lung function and lung health in current cigarette smokers. Just last month, Ghosh and others published a study that investigated the effect of smoking cigarettes or vaping on lung health. The scientists took a bronchoalveolar lavage, which is a sample of lung cells from cigarette smokers, e-cigarette vapors, and never-smokers. The scientists measured markers of lung inflammation, lung remodeling, and looked at the proteome of the lung. The investigators noted neutrophil elastase, MMP2, and MMP9 activities and protein levels were all equally elevated in both e-vapors and cigarette smokers, relative to the non-smokers. The scientists also concluded that vaping induced nicotine-dependent changes to protease release from resident pulmonary immune cells. So what this means is that both e-cigarettes and traditional cigarette users had some imbalances in the cells of their lungs that could potentially lead to chronic lung disease. These data also indicate that vaping may not be safer than traditional tobacco smoking. The last trials I'm going to share with you are about secondhand exposure to e-cigarette vapor. As Grena in 2014 published, 76% of the advertisements made for e-cigarettes report that they do not produce secondhand smoke. But is this true? Well, Lynn and colleagues earlier this year reported that e-cigarette vapor produced reactive aldehydes, including acrolein. And acrolein is shown to induce acquired CFTR dysfunction and this gene or protein is implicated in cystic fibrosis lung impairment. So this demonstrates that respiratory toxins can also be found in e-cigarette vapor, which could potentially have implications for secondhand exposure, particularly for those already with compromised lung function. In 2014, Cazola reported that e-cigarette vapor could expose others nearby to nicotine, but this is about 10 times lower than the amount of secondhand nicotine exposure in traditional cigarettes. As I mentioned earlier, levels of formaldehyde and acetylaldehyde have been found in e-cigarette vapor as well. So if exposed chronically over a long period of time, e-cigarette vapor could potentially have some negative health effects. And while in some cases the exposure to certain compounds is far lower in e-cigarettes versus traditional cigarettes, it is important to keep in mind that e-cigarettes may still have compounds that could have a negative effect on those nearby, particularly if the exposure is heavy or if the individuals are at risk with pre-existing chronic lung disease. 
I think with e-cigarettes, it may be one of those scenarios where something has gone to market rather quickly, with claims being made without adequate science to back those claims. Now, I haven't even gone into any data about nicotine itself and its effects as an addictive substance or its effects on our health, for example, its effects on diabetes risk. In the very near future, I will dive into this topic and specifically be covering our recent co-first authored paper that was accepted to Nature this month about the effects of nicotine and the risk of diabetes. So that will be an episode that you can look forward to very soon. So that is it, my People Scientist Army, on the scientific evidence of vaping or e-cigarette use. It appears that e-cigarettes may not actually be effective for their intended use, meaning not a very effective means to quit nicotine. But rather, these products have increased the number of people using nicotine products, particularly among teenagers. Even though e-cigarettes, vape pens, or jewels have fewer toxins and chemicals in them versus traditional cigarettes, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are 100% safe or do not harm the lungs or one's health. If you are using e-cigarettes, you could consider using low power on the vape pen, non-flavored liquids, not exposing others to the vapors, and trying your best to limit use, as heavy use was associated with some negative effects. Also, please take caution with heavy use of marijuana oil vaping, as these were the most common causes of the emergency cases. If you are an e-cigarette user and are noticing some symptoms of lung disorder, such as excess mucus, coughing, or difficulty breathing, then make sure to see your physician and limit your use. So, in conclusion, were the news reporters correct? I think there was a lot of truth to the articles, but some of the news reports, I think, sensationalized and exaggerated the claims. But considering that 530 cases of lung injury have been reported that were associated with e-cigarette use, is something to take note of. But do remember that these serious cases were more likely to be associated with vape pens containing oil from cannabis or marijuana. I think if nicotine, e-cigarettes, or vape pens were used only as a transition or replacement for traditional tobacco cigarettes, then it could have been a good invention. But now that never smokers have taken up e-cigarette use, I just want them to be educated to know that there are some risks, and clinical trials do show increased oxidative stress and inflammation in the lung, and reduced normal lung functioning. So now that you have the information, it is up to you to do with it what you will. I hope you all have a super healthy week, and I will meet you back here next week, the same time and the same place, on the People Scientist Podcast. Bye for now. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates.